0: amused listener and welcome back to a new episode we are really sorry for our brief hiatus that we had life has been a little bit busy it kind of got in the way but we're back and here with a pretty special episode i think i know i always say that but i like this one a lot yes it's going to be a blast to listen to (laughs) pretty swell and we're back baby the final weeks of queens 2022 So uh, this week, Jamie and I are actually going to give our voices a little bit of a break. I don't know if you can hear it in my in my voice that I need it, Um, but we are actually going to let the editor in chief, Meg, take over and I'm just going to let her get started and introduce herself and our special guest. Thank you for listening and we'll see. You'll hear us next time. Yeah, don't worry. I know you miss us, but we'll be back. All right. Hello, Jessica. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. It's been a little while since we chatted, so I'm so happy to be speaking with you today. So (laughs) today is a pretty special episode and it's a continuation of... Muse's Black History Month commitments for 2022. So this episode is a continuation of a project that was launched last year called Celebrating Black, which was a zine that was spearheaded and curated by the minds of Muse Magazine, Queen's Black Academic Society, and Committee Against Racial and Ethnic Discrimination otherwise known as Cared, So published in February 2021, the purpose of the zine was to um, was truly written by Jade Leonard, one of the co-presidents of Cared last year. And she wrote that blackness is not just its history. However, about the shared experiences of the black community, how these experiences have shaped us, challenged us, and what can be achieved by us in the present and future. Nurturing a space where Black people can thrive academically, creatively, and freely means recognizing that we are more than our history and set a precedent for our futures. So this past February, we had a great time connecting with a lot of our contributors from that scene. They actually uh, culminated in an article that was published to muse-magazine.com. So if you haven't read it yet, go check it out. Um, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Jessica. You were one of the contributors. You wrote a piece called The Adultification of Black Children. So I'm so excited to listen to you share some words from your piece and, and kind of the meaning and the importance behind, you know, that conversation that you sparked in that article.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be here.
0: Okay, stunning. So before we dive into our conversation, I, I know that's important to contextualize myself in this space. So I, you know, for listeners that don't know me, my name is Megan Fanjoy. I'm editor-in-chief of Muse Magazine. Um, I'm a white, cisgender, able-bodied, queer, neurodivergent woman. And I acknowledge that my lived experiences are deeply rooted um, in my positionality and especially my whiteness in, in bringing that to this conversation. So I'm really grateful to be speaking with you today, Jessica. And um, I'm really excited to hear about your thought process. and and sort of where your head was at when you were writing that article. I know it was like a year ago now. Yeah. So, you know, before we dive into that, I want, you know, I'd love to hear a bit more about you. So tell our listeners, who are you? Who are you, Jessica? And and tell me about yourself.
1: Yeah, so hi everyone. I'm Jessica Summersall, pronouns she her. Uh, I graduated from Queens last year, so 2021. Uh, I'm a drama major and a film media minor. Uh, I guess also I'm a writer, actor, theater kind of creative person. Um, like a triple threat. Yeah. <laughs> like a triple threat, kind of, maybe. <laughs> um, a
0: triple threat.
1: Quad, yeah. yeah. And I'm studying my master's in the UK in September. So that's kind of me.
0: <laughs> very exciting, very accomplished women. Not yeah. feeling intimidated. I'm not. <laughs> so you got involved with Celebrating Black. Tell me how that process started.
1: Yeah, um, so I had a lot of friends in high places. Uh, <laughs> um, so I was uh, um, outreach officer for Q-Bass, uh last year and our president, Katherine Habba, she was working with Muse for uh, this piece. And my friend Joseph, who's also a part of Muse, kind of asked if I would write a piece because I've been writing for a little bit that year. With consensual humans, because I was a blog contributor with them, um, so I was like, "Oh, hey, okay. you want me to write a piece? What do you like? What do you guys kind of want from me?" And they're like, "Honestly, just like write whatever comes to mind." Um, and so I chose to write the adultification of black children just because I had a lot of harbored unresolved feelings about uh, the past. Oh, guess two summers now. Yeah, I guess two summers now, two, uh, the summer of just like all the injustice that was happening with Black people um, and just like the pushback and also just like a lot of the media attention, which was a great, great thing, but also very triggering in a way um, that I wasn't ready for. And so I decided to write this piece to also tie in my experience with uh, being Black and just like something that I could kind of centralize my feelings with so that's how I got started and why I kind of wrote the piece as well
0: (laughs) that's awesome and that's so great that you know I feel like this project was kind of a culmination of a lot of your passions and you know sort of those nexus of of your studies and academia and beyond so um that's awesome that you know you were able to take part and shout out to Joseph love him he was yeah big part of me is big fan um So this topic of the adultification of black children that's a pretty broad topic there's a lot there there's yeah. a lot to unpack and you know obviously we have 20 minutes today so <laughs> what's sort of the scope of what you want to talk about today what is what does this look like for you what what's the perspective that you're coming into this with yeah
1: um so the adultification of black children is simply just how black children have to kind of grow up quicker than their white counterparts or than a lot of other children due to the fact that how the world sees them um, is as adults. And there's been so many cases um, in that lens of just black children having to grow up quicker simply because the world sees them as adults or as older than what they are. And my personal uh, story with this is just having two sisters, two beautiful sisters, one older, one younger, and now a little brother Um, we were always seen as kind of older in school or like teachers would kinda kind of like put us in this category of like, you should already know this, or like you should like you don't look like a typical six or seven year old. Cause I don't even know if it's if it's like a biological thing where they assume that like bachelor's in just grow up mature faster, which kind of we do actually have to mature. Um, quicker than uh, white counterparts but like that was kind of the scope of everything and so being able to reflect on like childhood traumas past and also be able to have my sisters and my sisters and brother um, kind of involved in this is why I really wanted to write this piece and where my um, perspective came in was all the things that I kind of accumulated in this piece
0: that's so beautiful that you know we spoke about this in our preliminary conversation just about sisterhood and and that relationship being so unique and the fact that you know you reflected on that in this piece was something that you know really stood out to me and that's you know i mean there's so much here with you know white supremacy and 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 patriarchal systems and and capitalism and all these structures so um being able to honestly you know and um, earnestly really reflect on, you know, your position and all of that, um, is amazing that you were able to do that in this piece. I want to bring it back to the beginning of the piece. Yeah. The first paragraph was so well written. Um, (laughs) why don't you give the reader sort of a, a snippet of what, what you wrote in that piece?
1: Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) I'll, I'll start it off. Uh, she doesn't look like a six year old. I thought she was 11. She's a grown man in a little boy's body. This body is built like a tank. He must be 16. There are so many comments and suggestive undertones that try to make Black children older than what they are. As I write this, I can vividly remember having a lot of these comments hold at me as a child or my little sister and brother. Why are Black children for some reason not allowed to be their age? <laughs>
0: so when you read that back, what are some of the, the thoughts that are going through your head?
1: Mm, well, I mean it's it's kind of like I'm happy I, I wrote that piece because that's exactly how I was feeling in that moment in that time and even reading it now I can like again think of different situations and scenarios that either my little sister like came home crying about or me kind of just like internalizing it all um and like that question of why can't uh black children just be their age it's still something I I kind of struggle with because as as I grow older, I'm still kind of like getting over those uh, traumas from childhood. And like, I still don't have the answer why can't the world just be black children for what they are children and having to like eliminate the black out of it in a way where it's always a constant kind of thought. Um, yeah, so it brings up, it brings up weird feelings that I guess like I haven't resolved with or um, resolved myself, if that makes kind of sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's so valid and I, you know, obviously cannot even imagine like how you feel and, and your experiences and, and what you're feeling when you're reading that back. But, um, you know, the fact that, you know, you were able to sort of put your thoughts onto paper and, um, you know, that just shows, you know, the power of, of you as a writer and, um, you know, it shows a lot about you and, and, you know, you knowing your truth about yourself. So that's awesome.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um a little bit there you mentioned your sisters again I want to look back to that the idea of sisterhood and and your relationship with your sisters I know I was saying that I have a sister myself and I know that we are so close and you go through everything together and um you know you and your sisters both being you know two black women um how has you know your relationship with your sisters been shaped by this adultification of black children especially you know with both of you being women talk about that sort of relationship and maybe sort of the supports that you've been able to, to show for each other.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if anyone has sisters, you know the struggle (laughs) of having sisters and also being the middle of two very strong opinionated women. Um, It's a wild ride. I think you learn a lot from sisterhood. I mean, they're your first friends. They're your first, like, I guess, teammates. In a way, and I mean, something that I guess anyone can relate to when they have a close bond with a sibling is just like you get to share a lot, and you don't even mean to necessarily share a lot, and then you realize the similar experiences that they have faced. Um, I was lucky to have an older sister, and so I wasn't the the as my sisters calls it the guinea pig. <laughs> so um, she kind of was able to like be not a not a second mom but just be someone who i know i can go to and she will she will, will give me her honest opinions about anything and everything and um the age gap between my sisters and i are pretty like close me and my older sister we are 4 years apart and my little sister and i are 3 years apart and so essentially we were all in elementary school together in a way <laughs> um so we all knew each other's teachers like um, my sis, my older sister's teachers were my teachers who were my little sister's teachers who then ended up being my little brother's teachers so like <laughs> she taught the whole somersault family clan essentially um and so we got to really like if I was getting bullied on the playground my older sister would come in no problem but also my little sister would also come in no problem um so having that support all the time was great um and in terms of just like being adultified and kind of objectified in a way uh and especially from like teachers and and um classmates peers we all also played soccer so like in that aspect of our, of our lives as well like we we're essentially all triplets but we're just born at different times is what we kind of say yeah <laughs> yeah literally. and the worst part is like we also all don't look alike <laughs> for some weird reason even though we had the same parents like we don't look anything alike I think um so it was just a matter of like having that bond and being able to share things and when I told them I was writing this piece obviously I had to ask for their uh, consent and permission to like share certain stories or if I was going to share certain stories or sh- share certain experiences that they would be okay with and that also cultivated a whole conversation in itself. And it was very sad to, sad slash eye opening to the fact that when we would talk about this stuff, um, being objectified, adultified in elementary school, specifically in high school too, actually, um, it brought up a lot of feelings and we were able to just kind of be there for one another. Um, and we didn't compare who got it worse or who got it uh, least. It was kind of just like the fact that we went through the same schooling. And the same thing happened. And then connecting to with my friends who, I guess, this is like typical suburban kid type of living where your friends also go to the same school and know your siblings and know your family and kind of just grew up. We literally grew up together. Like my best friend and I have been best friends for 20 years and I'm oh. about to be 23. Oh. So, yeah, <laughs> literally. And so she also was there during everything with my sisters and what was, and she also experienced similar things as well. And having that space to just be able to communicate and talk about it and like really reflect was, was heavy, it was very heavy. Um, And I don't even think we were fully prepared for the conversation we were having, um, because it all kind of just manifested itself in, in something completely different that I think like, like writing another piece like a follow-up piece on that too is is warranted is needed um, yeah and so that's why I also wanted to add a little stuff about sisterhood because it's so near and dear to my heart and I don't think I'd be the person I am without my sisters I mean obviously we argue we get into tiff here and there but I know if I needed my sisters they'd come in a diffy, they'd find a flight, a train, walk across the ocean if they have to, um, which I don't think a lot of people can say for their siblings, but I can say that for my sisters. Um, yeah, and so just the conversation we had is kind of also what sparked, uh, sparked this piece um, without like divulging their stuff and just focusing on, on my specific um, specific experiences. Just like teachers, kind of teachers and classmates just kind of like commenting on my body and how I'm like so overdeveloped and like, you know, uh, at like 11, like, I don't understand why you have big boobs and like this and that and the third, which is against, against sexualization too. Like, let's talk about that.
0: Yeah, um, sexualization of black So is very real. Yeah,
1: yeah, very real. And like, there was one, there's one specific, uh, instance where we were me and my best friend of 20 years and another one of my best friends of like 15 years so we were in this like little trio and we wanted to do the talent show and we were doing it to like it could have been a Beyonce song it could have been a Rihanna song like someone who was like something good. good um and it was just a nice innocent dance like obviously we were we were like dropping it low but not sexually dropping it low Right, because I mean, we're 10 years old, (laughs) and the teacher said, No, that dance is too sexy. And we were like, But we're 10, obviously, we're not trying to be sexy, we're 10. And she's like, No, you can't do it. And we're like, Okay, so we pushed up the choreo, whatever. During the talent show, there was a group of white girls who were also dancing, I think there were about five or six of them, and they were twerking on stage. It was kind of like everyone was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my friends and I were looking at each other like, so they get to do it, but we we don't, and obviously we didn't click into the fact that how the world sees us is different from how we saw these like white girls, and these white girls were lovely, like we were friends with them, but it was just very awkward because the teachers looked at us different from how different from how they looked at those girls, um, and it clicked now <laughs> in my twenties that that's that was the case of it, yeah, <laughs> which is heavy, but. That's why I also wanted to write this, because during my reflection with my sisters, it came apparent that similar things happened to them, and that we just kept internalizing, which then entailed, like, took a big hit on how I found myself as a Black woman, and how if the world wants me to be older, then I'm going to be grown at 12 years old and do grown people things, which, thank God I wasn't doing grown people things at 12 years old, but that's sometimes the case of other, other Black children where the world tells them that they're grown at 12 years old. And so they entail do grown things and have real adult consequences. Um, yeah, which is yeah, and sad because it ruins someone's life, essentially, because it's not necessarily their, their own... It's not how they see themselves, but it's how the world sees them that plays a part. And that's something I had to break out of. Uh, and figure out what, what being a woman means to me, what being Black means to me, what being a Black woman means to me, and not what the world, world tells me what being a Black woman is.
0: Wow, I mean, just listening to your story about the talent show and the dancing and everything, like, that's just, like, so fucked up, <laughs> like, it <Yeah>. really does, <laughs> like, um, I mean, there's so much history there, and there's so much of, like, why that happened, obviously, as you know, and and as you were talking, I was reflecting on a lecture that I actually just went to this morning, I'm in a third year philosophy class called Black Criminology, mm-hmm. and and Dr. Rose is an amazing professor, and, you know, he was talking so much about how the white woman is just viewed as the symbol of purity, and she can yeah. do no wrong, because yeah. she she's pure and, and innocent, and then, you know, black bodies are, are hypersexualized and, and, and viewed as, you know, obviously the only people that can perpetrate like any form of, you know, sexualization. And obviously, you know, as you wrote in your article, it's, you know, oftentimes black children that are facing the burden of that. So, yeah. um, you know, I just, it's so fucked up, but it's so real. And there's so much studying there. Like what you're writing about is a so real, much. it's real. And you know that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's so much. There, and things thing is like, I feel like with this article, it was only like surface level, right? Like there's yeah. so much deep diving that still needs to be done for sure.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I think um, I'd love to tie this back to, um, you know, what you were talking about, you being, you know, in the drama space. I was a <laughs> theater kid myself, you're <laughs> a theater kid, um, you know, going into your master's and everything. How do you think these experiences and and stories like the one that you just shared um, obviously, that wasn't mentioned in your article, but how do you think that sort of shaped your approach to your career and in the industry that you know you're you're working in right now? I, mean, I know that you said you work for for TIFF. For any of the listeners, yeah. don't know it's the mm-hmm. Toronto International Film Festival. So, how is has all of this and all these concepts sort of played into your <laughs> approach to that industry? Yeah,
1: um, I mean, I think I had great teachers. To be completely honest, I don't. That's awesome. I don't think if I had those teachers that I would have been the artist that I am today. And to be completely blunt, a lot of those teachers were white. And so the fact that they saw that there was a gap in like everyone's knowledge of just not even understanding like that West Side Theater was the only theater and that there's so much broader theater that's, I mean, honestly, a little bit better as well (laughs) to read and digest and just to kind of see and experience and witness it all. Um so I mean shout up to Kelsey Kelsey Davidson <laughs> from Queen hey, <laughs> my I, I love that prof. She's absolutely amazing because she's what really kind of opened my eyes in second year of all of the theater that I did not know existed to be completely honest. She was the first professor that recommended uh, a book or a play called An Off the by Brandon Jacob Jenkins, which is my favorite play now, uh, which was a play written in like the 18, 1700s, um, where a French white guy just wrote a play based off of the comings and goings and every day of a slave plantation, okay? So it sounds messed up. But <laughs> yeah. uh, in 2015, Brandon Jacob Jenkins, who's a black playwright I think from the South, took that play and we wrote it completely different and was like, honestly, none of us know how slaves talk. So I'm just going to put in regular, regular like, dialogue. And you literally see two um, slaves and they're talking about what they're going to do after their shift ends. Like, don't get me wrong. It's very layered and it's funny to think about, but it's also like, you realize that they're slaves and then they're having conversations. And then you realize it's the, it's like, society stuff and just the socialization at play. And so that, like when she recommended me that book, like, like not me personally, the whole class, if you had to read it for, for an assignment, I think, and she just allowed us to talk and just like actually give out our opinions. So realizing how the world sees me as a black woman, black creative, black theater, Person in that space, you have you you have to really realize how the world sees you, and kind of you kind of have to use that to your advantage in a way. And so, if you want to tokenize me, sure, go ahead, but I'm going to talk my shit essentially and make you listen. And so, during all my auditions for like my masters and my papers, I had to write and like um, personal statements. I really made sure to put to emphasize that. I already know what I want to do in this theater space and this is what I want to do and it's either your institution's going to allow me to continue what I want to do or you're not know, the institution for me like essentially I was interviewing them and not me into like oh. not have me interview you know what that is that snaps to that
0: <laughs> that's awesome
1: <laughs> but I knew I wanted to go to university and so I never took what my teachers told me to do because I knew at the end of the day like if my like, if I no, I'm capable to do it, I'm going to do it, so that's why I'm now doing my master's, or I'm about to start my master's, but that whole process, I was really aware that if I got into the school, is because it could, and it's, it's a double-edged sword, because I know it's either through diversity count, which a lot of my white counterparts by Queens told me I've got certain things, because diversity, which, I mean, I know who you all are, but I will,
0: I will. Not I will, naming names it, today. Not, not naming names. <laughs> you can not drop a name if you want. <laughs>
1: but she's going to be, she's going to keep it classy. She's going to keep it cute. Okay, but um, yeah, no. So that's something that I always keep in the back of my head that this could be for diversity. And if it is, I'm going to use it to my advantage. I'm going to make sure that if you want me to talk on Black issues, I'm going to talk on Black issues and make you know that I'm not the spoke. Woman for the Black community, I can't speak on African American Black uh, uh, African American uh, experiences. I can't speak on Caribbean Canadian experiences because, again, those two experiences are completely different. Those two systems are completely different, and I'm not going to speak for the whole Black diaspora because <laughs> that's not what I'm going to do and put myself to the world. Um, but, through all that being said, just <laughs> theater. I make sure I have two positions when it comes to theater. Either me as an ally, and let, other, and let other theater and pieces be at the forefront. Like I can't speak on non-binary people's existence, even though as much as I wanna see so much theater uh, be brought into that. I can't, as a cisgender woman, can't do that. Like, cause I mean, I'm black, but I can't also speak for all marginalized groups. That's just makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> Being able to bring those to the front for also disability, like that's coming up now in theater and thank goodness it is because there's so many different disabilities in the world in general and people still want to be able to consume theater. So you have to tailor theater to that. Um, so again, having to be a well-rounded person is what makes a good theater creative and know your positionality. So when it comes to black issues, yes, then that's my turn to speak up. When it comes to women issues, that's my turn to speak up. Everything else is not my turn to speak up. And so that's when you take a back seat and you listen. And if people need help, then put your hand up and you'll help. But you, you can't take over other issues that doesn't have anything to do with your intersectionality. And that's kind of just the end all be all to be completely frank. And so I made sure whatever I'm doing in life to really walk by that and be an ally in spaces where they need allies and be an advocate into things that only I can advocate for.
0: I wanna dive near the end of the piece to a place when you go on to say that no child is inherently bad. Um, Read that paragraph back and, 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 and tell us maybe sort of what you're thinking when you're reading that back.
1: No child is inherently bad. But attaching such negative words leads Black children to prejudice stereotypes such as sassy, ghetto, or looking for trouble. All of those words allude to criminal stereotypes, which is setting up Black children for failure from a young age. These are all examples of the adultification of Black children because people assume that Black children are more guilty or capable of doing wrong. Huh. Wow! I mean, a lot a of lot things. There. <laughs> a lot of a lot of things. I mean, huh? Uh, what I think when I when I uh, read that is everything that I've read that is written by a black philosopher, poet, academic. Just it all literally touches base. Touches a lot of these things of how the world kind of sees. Blackness, and then their perspective of it. One thing when I was writing this, I was thinking of Coates, uh, who's like poet slash writer slash like a, a academic. Um, he wrote this this uh, this piece called "Letters to My Son," which he was writing a, a letter, a love letter slash a letter of realization for his son to realize that how he walks in the world, how he should walk in the world and how the world views him so he won't be subjected to police brutality or um, or other things. Um, and so I, I also have a quote from that as well, if you don't mind me reading it. Oh, no, um, good. Uh, so it's, this is your country. This is your world. This is your body and you must find some way to live within it. And so carrying that back, like it's crazy because the exact same thing that I kind of touched on is just like you have to understand how the world sees you. Everyone should actually, everyone should understand how the world sees them and what the world says about the way that you appear to the world. But like, you don't have to necessarily play into that. Like you can differentiate how the world sees you and how you actually are but there are some precautions you have to take when doing that. And I think that little um, that little excerpt that he wrote was outlining that. What I wrote was talking about how if you don't, if children don't understand that what the world is saying to them has an effect on how they see themselves, it could lead to different, it can lead to a whole different, different journey essentially. Um, And like this specifically is talking about black children and how um, the word sassy and ghetto placed onto black children could essentially influence their decisions of, you know, if I'm ghetto, then I'm gonna act ghetto. And that's how we end up in bad situations. But they, they probably don't even wanna be in themselves. It's just how the world sees them. And I mean, we could talk about the police. If we want to talk about the police because that's a whole different that's a whole different thing in itself. Because they're supposed to protect civilians, and, and they're out here shooting children <laughs> essentially with toy guns. Which, I mean, children have toy guns. Like Nerf guns is a big thing. My brother has so many Nerf guns. But being scared for my brother to go outside playing, uh, having a Nerf gun fight with his friends, like you don't know what like uh, things can happen in a millisecond and so it's just it's just very scary I'm reading it back it just makes me think of of my brother and my sisters and my cousins of just family members and like I don't know. It's very it's still very fresh and it just again just enforces that black children have to move differently in the world when they really to have to or black people in general really
0: I mean, I, I really, you know, I just, all I, you know, think about is, as you were, you know, saying that story is just like how much I appreciate, you know, you sharing that and, and you using this project, Celebrating Black, as a space to share those experiences. I mean, there's so much in the scene about, you know, Black joy and, and celebrating Black excellence, but also, you know, bringing in this aspect and bringing in, you know, these layers, I think, you know, really um, was, you know a crucial part of the zine and and so that's just I'm just so impressed by the way that you're able to put all this on paper.
1: Yeah. And I think it is good to talk about black joy. I mean, I feel like just this piece in itself, I was in a space where I need to like have something cathartic. Like it's either I'm gonna write a script or I'm gonna do a piece and kind of put that out there. And I just chose to do something like like this, like uh, the adultification of Black children. But talking about, about Black joy, like, is also something that I think we should really focus on because it's been a hard year for everybody. It's yeah. been a hard two years, <laughs> hard two years for everybody. And there's a lot of there's a lot of shit in this world that's going on that is race-related, not only to Black people, but to Asian people, to, I mean, the Ukraine, <laughs> the Ukrainians right now are going through it. I mean, there's just a lot of shit. And so talking about joy is also, I feel like something that we should highlight as well, that we all need a little joy now, especially now. So,
0: yeah. yeah. So with that being said, now that we can put this piece to bed, we've unpacked it all. You've shared your thoughts with our listeners. I want to end you with one final question. I didn't put this in the notes I sent you. So I'm sorry. This is a little it's okay. in the left field, but we are Muse magazine and I would love to know what your muse is. Well, Corny, but. oh whoa.
1: <laughs> what my muse is. Oh, we're gonna be here for a while. <laughs> and I think my muse is definitely family, friends. Uh I mean I love theater. Theater is like my, my baby, but I grew up watching a lot of television, a lot of film with my grandfather. And just like that experience in itself, like I would be beside him in a recri- reclining chair and just like consuming anything and everything he was watching. He was really into Westerns, which I mean, it's funny enough, watching those Westerns, he would always tell me, you know, that's not real indigenous people. Those are white people playing indigenous people. You have to be, you have to like know that. And so I was like, what, like, is that even right? And he was like, no, it's not. And my grandfather now being like in his mid 80s, understanding that also, I feel like it needs to be acknowledged because that was a completely different time. It um, doesn't make it right, but it was a completely different time. And so I think my, my muse is just, yeah, family,
0: friends, and all of the film I was able to watch. What do you hope our listeners took away from this episode today?
1: Yeah. Well, I hope everyone kind of took away just perspective at the end of the day. Like, I realized that not everyone's going to accept me as a black woman. I get it. I I'm not mad about it. I'm not gonna cry over it. I'm not gonna lose sleep about it. I think I've done a, enough of uh, self-loathing for anybody to loathe my blackness or me being a woman. Um, I just want people to understand perspective. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to like it. But understand that people come through, people come from all different walks of life and experience things that you will never be able to experience. And that's that's just the bottom line, to be completely frank. And that's okay. And you don't have to like it. Again, you don't have to accept it. You can hate Black people. And that's that's all you, boo. But at least allow... At least understand the perspective. That's all. At least understand that your your upbringing is not how somebody else was was brought up, and was not someone else's experience. Because at the end of the day, do I think racism is going to exist a uh, hundred years from now? Yes, <laughs> I think it is. I think it's going to look differently, but I think it is. Do I think homophobia is going to uh, be around a hundred years from now? Yes, because at the end of the day, people people love to just hate on others essentially people love to rain on everyone's parade it's just we need to be we need to allow everyone before everyone just as much as the white supremacists have the floor to speak and do all their hate speech black people should have the floor to speak and have the floor to speak about their experience. Black queer people should have the floor and speak their experience. Indigenous people, I'm still waiting for them to have the floor. I mean, essentially, it's their floor to begin with that we're situated <laughs> on. So at yeah. least
0: what we can do is allow them to speak. <laughs> yeah. Jessica, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I, I genuinely think that, you know, the piece that you wrote and the work that you're doing in, in the creative arts is so profound and I cannot wait to see you flourish and thrive in your mm-hmm. master's program and support you along the way. I think our listeners are, are going to be so grateful. I'm sure that you guys all are um, that are still listening now to this episode. You shared so much wisdom today, Jessica, and I really truly do appreciate you, you bringing that perspective to this, this podcast. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me. I really like, I, I really am uh, grateful to be able just to, to, speak and like be heard and like not have not feeling like it's like I'm just a token and like this is just to cover all Black History Month and that's kind of the bare minimum again but to actually be like someone who like leads the conversation and also just like hear your perspective as well and just have like an honest safe conversation of just both being heard so I really I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, If anyone who's listening right now is ever interested in being featured on a Muse, please send us a DM at musexqueens on our Instagram. We are always more than happy to chat with people, whether you're on Muse or not. Um, we are so, you know, we are a space for the creatives at Queens. We are the home of creativity, as we like to call ourselves. So definitely reach out. Um, this project and celebrating Black was, you know, obviously, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, spearheaded by Cubass and Cared. So you can visit their Instagram pages at Queens Black Ad- Academic and at Queens Cared. Uh, to learn more about how you can get involved with some advocacy work at Queens, check out the social issues commission page um, at Social Issues Commission. And you can see a bunch of lists of resources as well as they're doing a great reading challenge that's going on right now. So definitely reach out to them over Instagram. Um, We also just closed our donation collection for Black Artists Network and Dialogue, which is a charitable organization dedicated to supporting, documenting, and showcasing the artistic and cultural contributions of Black artists and cultural workers in Canada and internationally. They're a great organization. Their vision is really just truly connecting Black culture to communities to inspire, enlighten, and educate through the arts. So if anyone who's listening right now is interested in contributing a donation, please send us a DM on our Instagram, at Musex Queens, and we'll get you connected with our business team. With that being said, thank you so much, Jessica, for tuning in with us today at Amused. Thank you so much, Claudia, um, for getting us kicked off and, and for giving the floor to us today. I really appreciate it. Um, and we'll see you soon, Muse. Bye.